0: In your pew Bibles, if you have the blue pew Bible, Bibles, this is page 880. I do invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 28. And while some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, With what powerful words you speak to us in your scriptures. Our mind could not contain them. Isn't that just further evidence that they are your words spoken through men, but ultimately your inspired words. So we pray that we would listen well, that we would be good, humble servants who hear your word and do it. Help us to navigate even through difficult portions of your scriptures, knowing that you are speaking to us in them. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. There's a song, I think it's, it's a late 80s or a 90s song uh, by the band R.E.M. And it, it's, it's opening words, its title goes like this. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Maybe some of you know that that song. In fact, it, it just keeps saying over and over again. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And then and then the, the lead singer says, and I feel fine. You know, it's really catchy, really catchy song. But here's the thing. Nobody feels fine when their world comes crashing through. Nobody is, you know, it's a, oh, I, I, I feel fine when everything, you know, comes tumbling through and The very end of the world could be at at hand for all you know. Do you feel fine when, you know, you suddenly lose a job? Do our brothers and sisters in Christ feel fine uh, when suddenly in Afghanistan they lose the national security that they depended on and everything just, it's like, wow. Everything I knew has collapsed underneath my feet. No, the end of the world does not feel fine. It, it feels disorienting and confusing. And you, you struggle to get your bearings. Must have been somewhat what it felt like for the disciples when Jesus told them about the temple in this passage. Now, remember where we're at in the book of Luke. Jesus is he's he's marched into Jerusalem. He's made his grand entry and we know what he's about to do. He's about to be crucified for sinners on the cross. He's going to rise again. But before then, he's taken this this time to slowly but surely teach um, in, in the temple complex. Jesus has set up his post as the true teacher teaching um, god's word from the temple and as he's doing this he keeps coming back and commenting on the temple but here jesus's disciples um, have just heard jesus praise these two small tiny coins this tiny little gift that this widow has put into an offering plate but guess what they're doing their eyes are up looking at the grandeur of the temple and all of its magnificent opulence, as one um, author described it at that time. The temple was was gorgeous. It was huge. It was staggering. There were um, statues hanging off the temple of clusters of grapes that were as big as several people you know, combined. And uh, the, the, the very foundation stones that Jesus references in this text, they were they were, they were huge. Enormous! If you go to Jerusalem and see them, you say, how did they possibly move these things in place? Well, that's exactly what would have struck the people in Jesus's day. It was like nothing they'd ever seen. Here they come from their um, from their tiny homes and they make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to see this shining white building overlaid in, in, in some places with gold of a size that rivaled other wonders of the world. And so here are the disciples, you know, oohing and awing at the temple. And Jesus, in his customary way, sees things in a way that, that no one else sees them, doesn't he? He looks at the temple and says, oh, do you realize that not one of those stones that you're so impressed with are going to be standing? There's going to come a day when all of this opulence is reduced to rubble. And that had to send shockwaves through the hearts of of the disciples, because the temple was like the gem on on top of a wedding ring that stood for God's covenant commitment to his people. It was like, you know, that that stone, that precious stone that God had laid before the people of Israel and, and said, you are mine. I am with you. To hear that the temple would be reduced to rubble. I mean, for, for someone like the disciples, for any Jew in Jesus' day, that had to be, that, that said nothing less than the end of the world is coming. God's fiery judgment is coming against his people. And so it's no, no surprise that they, they start asking Jesus all these questions. Well, wait, when is this going to happen? What are the signs? He said, so "We we've got we, we've got to know if the end of the world is really... Days, weeks, years, months ahead. Help us out, Jesus. And you know what's amazing about Jesus is he actually has the answers. This is something I remember when I was, when I was a kid, um, reading my Bible in the woods, walking around with, with my, my, um, my Springer Spaniel dog and reading the, reading the Bible out in the woods. I said, it's amazing that the Lord Jesus says what, what's going to happen before it happens. He has the answers. Kids, isn't that amazing? That Jesus knows what's going to happen before it even happens. And yet, even while we feel that, you know, that reassurance that Jesus has the answer, we see that some of the things he says are, are, can be quite confusing. Sometimes our troubled hearts when, when, when it feels like the end of the world is at hand and we turn to Jesus for the answers, sometimes in these kind of end times passages, we say, what is happening here? If only I could decipher it. Um, well, I believe we can do that this morning. I believe that Jesus's words do have a clarity to them, even while there's a kind of mystery that that that, that is around them. Um, not surprising when someone speaks about the end times that there would be mystery. But I believe that, Uh, As we go along. First, what I want us to see is that Jesus gives us signs for troubled times. He actually guides us um, through navigating end times, troubled times with certain signs. And then he gives us lessons for troubled times. Signs for troubled times, lessons for troubled times. And as we see this unfold... I not only want us to be comforted presently with what Jesus has to tell us, but I also want us to be more confident when we turn to passages like this in our Bible. When you're reading the Bible uh, during the week, you say, what does this mean? There are certain ways that Jesus teaches us to navigate these passages. So there's a lot that we're going to do this morning. Let's, let's dive right in by looking at these signs that Jesus gives for, for troubled times. So the disciples ask Jesus, what is the sign that the end is going to come? What is the sign that the temple is going to be destroyed? And I want you to notice that Jesus gives them signs for troubled times in their own day. These are like the alert signs that are flashing up on a screen of a control panel. Imagine you're you're flying your plane you know, you're, you're the pilot of a plane and, and, on, and suddenly there's, there's lights that are flashing. Um, you, you, have to, you need to look at those. You need to pay attention to those um, because they're going to affect the way that you're flying through troubled times. And so first, Jesus lists, I mean, it, it would take us forever to, to, to dive in deep to each one of these, but I want you to see that Jesus gives specific signs that are those like those alert warnings saying the end is here the temple is being is about to be destroyed first verse 8 Jesus talks about false messiahs people who come and say I am he I'm the messiah come and follow me He talks about natural disasters in verse 11 earthquakes Famine. verse 10 he talks about wars and insurrections and verse 12 he talks about persecution and these are all those kinds of shock waves that are saying the temple is about to be destroyed but then most of all verse 20 the greatest sign of troubled times is this but when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that it's desolation has come near. Jesus is saying, okay, look, you're you're going to see, you're about to see a whole lot of craziness start to shake the landscape. But what you really need to pay attention to, disciples, so you're you're not losing your mind, is you need to look for this specific sign. It's, It's going to culminate in this. Armies are going to come. They're going to surround the city of God, Jerusalem. And there's going to be no escape at that point. That's when the desolation has come near. And you see that Jesus actually warns the disciples before the, the, the army has actually surrounded the city. You need to get out of there. Hightail it. That's, that, that is the time when God's judgment is going to come. Just like the shock waves of uh, an earthquake, Right? Before an earthquake comes, you feel you might feel a little uh, tremble, and you might be able to to, 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 to detect that on a seismograph. You, know, you say, "Okay, there's an earthquake coming. We don't know exactly when, but it's on the way." That's the time to start preparing. Well, just in that way, when the people are seeing these, you know, false messiahs and natural disasters and wars and insurrections and persecution, they're saying, "Okay, there's something big coming." But the earthquake that just rocks the landscape is. The fall of Jerusalem itself, when the armies have surrounded it. And what you need to know is that Jesus was completely right about every one of these signs. They all happened in the years uh, between AD 60 and AD 70. Every single one of these things came true. And what Jesus was doing when he gave these words, he's not just you know, trying to show his power by predicting what's going to happen, right? It's not just this cool, Hey, I know what's going to happen. Don't worry. It's actually that Jesus is planting something in the minds of the early church, planting something in the minds of, um, in the Gosp- those who are reading the gospel of Luke. Uh, Theophilus is the one to whom the gospel of Luke is written. He's a Gentile. And, while he's living, he would start to hear about some of these early shockwaves, right? Theophilus would hear about false teachers. He'd go into the marketplace and he, someone would say, listen to me, I'm the Messiah. I have the answers, follow, follow me. He'd say, I remember that Jesus said that this is, this is an early warning sign of the end times. I'm not, I'm not going after you. And then Theophilus, when he would you know, uh, open his newspaper, would see a headline that an earthquake had just rocked Pompeii, the the great city of Pompeii in 63 AD, he'd say, what is happening in the world? Wait, Jesus said something about this. Jesus said that there would be natural disasters right leading up to the time of the destruction of the temple. And and when when Theophilus would hear about the Jewish insurrection that happened in, in Jerusalem in 66 AD, he would say, Hmm, you know, this isn't just an accident. This isn't just a revolution. This is all part of God's playbook. These are all signs of the coming judgment. And then, when people would, would hear about that, that most horrific of events, the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 7080. You can read about it. It events that, uh, that, that, sh- that shook Jerusalem, that and that shook the, uh, the world at that time, the entire world at that time, even more, the 9-11 shook us to our core because of the horrific things that happened in 70 AD. Christians would hear about that and they'd say, wait, our Savior told us something about this. He told us, he planted in our minds that reminder that this is no mistake he told us that when we see this, it was supposed to trigger a reaction. We're supposed to remember God is at work in this. And what's God doing? What is God doing when he crushes the jewel that was the symbol of his, 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 his covenant with his people? Well, this is nothing less than God's day of vengeance. It is a vengeance that comes down against a people who refused to listen to his son, Jesus. Remember what we saw when Jesus came into Jerusalem? We saw, you know, while everyone's cheering and waving palm branches, Jesus starts to weep. He starts to weep. And remember what he says? He says, all of this that I see before me is going to lie in rubble. And in rubble. What was God doing when he brought the Romans the, the, the Roman legions down upon the temple, the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. He was putting an end to the, the sacrificial system at the time. Because his son, Jesus, had offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. It was time for that sacrificial, those sacrifices that were looking forward to him to stop. And, and the very fact that they kept going was a symbol that the people in Israel had not really understood who Jesus was. They had heard him, but they were refusing to listen. And you know what else God was doing? It tells us here in verse 24, God is beginning a new era. The times of the Gentiles. That's an interesting phrase. You say, what does that mean? Well, Theophilus, who was a Gentile, this would be really meaningful, him, meaningful for him to hear. When Jerusalem, when the temple is destroyed, when the city lies in rubble, that means that the gospel is now going out to the nations, right? The holy city lies in ruins. And then where does the gospel go? Well, Jerusalem, Judea, all the ends of the earth. The time of the apostles begins in in, in all of its fullness. And so that's that's really what's happening. I I don't want to belabor this too much. I just want you to hear Jesus is planting an idea that's going to be in, in the minds of the early church that's going to be triggered when these things start to happen. And all of this is saying God is in this. God is working this towards his holy end. He's sending you a message. He's sending the world a message. Listen up. Signs for troubled times. They were signs for the people in Jesus' day for his disciples, but they were signs that have meaning for us today. In fact, these signs have meaning for every generation. This is really important because it's actually, you know, sometimes you'll read, you'll read verses, passages like this, and you'll say, Well, there's there's two errors you can fall into. The first error is you say, Well, this is clearly all just history, right? Follow Jerusalem. Already happened. This is history. Um, Cool that Jesus predicted it. Moving on. The other error you could fall into is saying everything in here is all about the future. We're we're waiting for it. Everything described in here is is going to take place way down the corridor of time when Jesus is just about to come again. And what Jesus is actually teaching us is is a way to read prophecy. I call it um, the mountaintop effect of end times prophecy in the Bible. So again, let, let, let's go back to that analogy of you're flying through end times passages and you're, and, and you're a pilot in a plane and you see a big mountain ahead of you, right? Um, but then as you get closer and closer, you start to be able to discern, wait, that mountain is actually a mountain range, right? You've got foothills and then you've got a larger peak and then you've got the greatest peak of all. It's not one mountain, it's, it's a bunch of smaller mountains building up to a peak. And you're only able to see that as you fly up around one angle. But when you're looking straight on, it all looks like one mountain. Well, this is often what happens as we read end times passages in the Bible. Right? When you're reading Jesus, when you're, when you're hearing Jesus talk about the end times here, what does he say? You know, it all looks like one big mountain, the fall of Jerusalem, the end of the world. It looks like it's one and the same thing. I mean, you see that, right? When you, when you read, um, look at verse 20 through 24, and you hear about the fall of Jerusalem and, and uh, the awful day that that is going to be. And then suddenly in verse 25, what does Jesus say? There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and the earth distress of nations, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. And you say, well, wait a minute. Are we talking about the fall of Jerusalem? Or are we talking about the judgment of the whole world? It starts to, to feel really confusing, right? You start to lose sense of where you're at as you're, as you're approaching that mountain peak because it all looks like one mountain. But what we see in this passage in other places um, in, in the scriptures, as you get closer, what you see is Jesus is actually talking about a mountain range that is spread out. The fall of Jerusalem, it was a judgment of God. 70 A.D., it was, it was for sure a judgment of God against the people that had rejected Jesus. But it is not the final and last judgment. It's like one of those foothills of judgment. You could call it you know, a dress rehearsal, an anticipation. Um, one theologian says this, when God uh, came down in judgment upon that jewel, Jerusalem, that, that's the top of the wedding ring and shattered it, he was giving the sure promise on the last day, he is going to shatter the whole ring as well, the whole earth. What do we need to understand as we read this? We, we need to understand that this mountaintop effect, this, this mountain peak effect of the end times prophecy actually helps us to read the Bible and to apply it to our own time. When we hear of wars and false prophecy happening, right? Do we hear of those things? Yeah. Do we hear about persecution? Yes. Why else would we be praying today for the persecuted church? Jesus is saying, we we don't respond by saying, well, those were all things that were just leading up to the fall of Jerusalem, right? No. Just as they were pointing to judgment in the disciples' day, as they awaited that dress rehearsal of judgment, so in our day, those same things are constant reminders to us Judgment is coming in its fullness. So every time we feel like the end of the world is coming, right? You know, uh, wars, pandemics breaking out in the land. What are those things supposed to do? They are supposed to remind us, trigger what Jesus had already planted in our minds. Judgment is coming. Be right with God. And the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way that we can really fly our plane through that end times, um, those troubled times, is knowing that the Savior will save us from those times of judgment. If you have not laid a hold of the Savior, then you do await the the destruction of the earth. Just like um, in in, in Jesus' day, he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem. The only way of escape from that judgment is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another way that this passage applies to us today. There's another way. We've talked about about reading the Bible uh, for its mountaintop effect, for its mountain peak effect as we're we're working through end times prophecy. But there's another way that uh, this text applies to us. And here's what you do. You look for the commands throughout this passage. Because when, uh, when, when you're going through difficult waters, difficult end times passages, you can get your bearing by, by looking for the commands. So this is our second point in the sermon today. Lessons for troubled times. We've heard about signs for troubled times. Now listen to the lessons that Jesus teaches us for troubled times. And these are like, you know, imagine you're, you're on the, uh, on a plane, again, going back to that that analogy, and you start to hear the, the captain come over, you know, the, the plane. Uh, do you usually listen up? I, you know, some of you are laughing, like I, I guess not really. Well, you know, what if the captain starts saying serious things like, you know, we you you need to put your seatbelt on. This is imperative. You know, you would actually lean in and listen. That's what Jesus is teaching us, is he's actually giving us commands, like the captain navigating a plane. And the first lesson I want you to see, there's three of these lessons that, that really pop out in this passage. The first one is don't panic. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. What is does what Jesus say in verse nine? When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. What's our first reaction when we hear of, I don't know, let's say, um, the U.S. pulling out of Afghanistan or or a pandemic sweeping across the land? What's our first reaction? Panic! You know, red alert, this is... uh, we're out of control. We're spiraling. You know, you, you, you feel that turbulence in the plane, right? And you think we are going down. Isn't that exactly what happens whenever some dramatic event rocks our world? We're tempted to turn to false teaching. Thousands of Reformed Christians um, believed the predictions of Harold Camping and followed his teaching. Um, and we're left completely empty because he didn't predict the end of the world correctly. You've heard this before from the pulpit. The prediction isn't going to hold, okay? And and so, but but what what happens when we feel that turbulence rocking our landscape, rocking our world? We say, oh, I, I need someone who's got the answers. Jesus, you're not giving me enough here. Someone help me out. And we turn to all these people that are all too ready and willing to feed us something that puts us under their leadership. Jesus speaks to us in his word. He says, Friends, listen up. We're going through turbulence. Stay seated, don't panic going to land this ship because you see what what's happening is when when we start uh when, when everything starts to be starts to fall apart in our lives when everything we knew starts to crumble when we can't seem to find a new you know, a new normal after covid19 when when it seems like wow you know things aren't going back to normal guess what everything isn't falling apart God is dismantling it. God is dismantling the world as we know it. These are shockwaves. These are reminders. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And so just as Jesus warned those disciples in his day, don't panic. He also warns us, don't panic. And he he says something else. Don't despair. Verse 14, Jesus says some words that are so appropriate for us to have heard um, as we pray for the persecuted church around the world today. What did Jesus say? He said, you will be persecuted. He told his disciples, they will lay their hands on you. They will deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And then he goes on and says, guess what? Some of you are going to die. Do you know what this is? This is like a sneak preview of the book of Acts. like a sneak preview that comes across our screen and, and Jesus is getting us ready for everything that's going to happen in the book of Acts. Because guess what happens in Acts? Well, each one of Jesus' disciples gets c- continually dragged before people that are persecuting them, dragged before civil magistrates, dragged before religious leaders. And they're, and they're asked, what are you teaching about this Jesus? And are you prepared to lose your life? Every single one of the apostles, except for one, actually, um, John was the only one who did not die a brutal death of persecution. But look at the the words that Jesus speaks to them and to us. I, I love these words. Listen to this. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. What comforting words for the apostles as they were being dragged before leaders? They look up and they see a great king, clothed with all his power, you know, Caesar himself, with all his regalia, and their hearts tremble. But then the words of Jesus say, "This will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is not a mistake. You're here for a reason." And then, what's the first thing that that shocks us when when, when we're when we're put in difficult Uh, times of persecution, we say, well, if this is my opportunity to bear witness, then what do I say? What are the words I'll speak? And Jesus says, guess what? You don't have to worry about that either. I'll give you the words. Settle your minds beforehand, not to have all that figured out. Don't you worry. I'll speak through you. Now, we've seen that play out over and over again through the history of the persecuted church. We've seen winsome and powerful testimony to the gospel pour out on on national television even. We've seen widows whose husbands have uh, been targets of, of bombings against Christians speak on national news and say, I forgive the attackers. I forgive them and I want them to know Jesus and escape final judgment. Words like that, testimonies like that. Guess what, friends? That's the work of Jesus and his persecuted church, helping them not to despair and helping us not to despair. Friends, I, I really recommend that we all memorize this line. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Because more and more every day, there are going to be increasing opportunities for you to actually bear witness to Jesus, and guess what? Right now, what happens? You might get in. Um, you might you might get scoffed at by your friends in this country. You might actually you know act, have some sort of legal consequences in this country. You won't lose your life yet, but Jesus is telling you this will be your opportunity opportunity to bear witness. Everyone should memorize that line. What a precious promise for the persecuted church in every age and especially even today. And then finally, there's one other lesson that comes to us that Jesus speaks to us in these troubled times. And it's this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't panic. Don't despair. Don't give up. We see that in verse 18 in our passage. Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You ready to be persecuted? Well, Jesus says this, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You say, well, wait, Jesus, you just said that some people are going to die. You just said that I need to be prepared to die as a testimony and a witness to you. So, what's this business about not a hair of my head perishing? I mean, if I die, more than my hair's perished. Jesus is giving you an even more precious promise than you could imagine. He's saying, go ahead, let them behead you. Go ahead, let them crucify you. Go ahead, let them kill you. But I hold your life. But I hold your life. And they can take take your mortal body and they can put it in the grave. But guess what they're doing? They're only sending you to reign with me from on high. By killing you, my gospel advances. Endure. Stand firm. Lift up your heads. When you see these kinds of persecution shaking your landscape, pulling out the life as you know it from underneath you, guess what? Look up because your redemption is drawing near. The Lord Jesus is coming. Friends, It may be the end of the world as we know it, the beginning of the end, at least. And we may not feel fine. Jesus doesn't ask us to, but guess what he does tell us? He says, You may not be fine, but you are safe in me. I hold you in my hands. Let's pray.